Welcome to the Happily You podcast, where we'll dive into topics surrounding personal development, food, fitness, and all things that'll help you become happily you. Join me on my journey of self-discovery as I learn more about human design, diet, and exercise that works for me, and help you find what works for you. And I want to help you accept and embrace yourself and know that you're exactly as you're meant to be. And leaning into that will open up a whole new world for you. Listen every Friday as podcasts are released. And don't forget to share, subscribe, so I can continue to bring you content that helps you in your journey. Thank you so much for listening. Happy Friday and welcome back to another episode of the Happily You podcast. Um, This week, I there's like so many things that I want to talk about. Um, But I love it because like as I learn through school and I like let all these things absorb and then I can like relate them to my life or what I see from other people. Um, so this week I learned about something called blue zones, um, in the world that was, uh, I listened to a lecture of a National Geographic. Um, he worked for National Geographic. I can't remember his name. It was Dan something rather. I apologize. Um, but he was hired or he got funding from National Geographic to find places in the world that had the highest amount of, um, I'm going to butcher it again, sent, sent, not centennials, centurion, sentience, I don't know, people that are over 100 years old. Um, and his findings were, like, fascinating. And so, like, it really got me thinking and, like, relating it to especially how, like, the culture in America and how we do things here. But essentially, he found five places in the world that had the highest number of people over 100 years old. And so he, like, went to all these places. It was uh, Sardinia, Italy. Okinawa, Japan, Loma Linda, California, somewhere in Costa Rica, I can't remember the town, and then um, a, a an island in Greece. Um, Icarus, I think it is, uh, might be mispronouncing it. And so he went to all these places and he was like looking at what it is that they do that we are not doing, right? What it, What are they doing that is allowing these people to get into old age like this and not only get in there, but like be active. So he was saying, um, he gave us a list and actually I can start with that list, um, that he gave. So like basically like check off everything that I say that you've done, just give yourself a point. Um, so he asked, um, one point for each statement. I get at least seven and a half hours of sleep at least five days a week. I eat four honest servings of fruits and vegetables I haven't smoked in at least three years. I have never had unprotected sex with a stranger. I belong to a faith-based community and show up at least four times a month. I have at least three good friends. I can write on a piece of paper in one sentence my life meaning, and I get at least 30 minutes of physical activity a day. And by three good friends, he doesn't mean just like good friends that you can call every now and again or whatever. He means like literally three good friends that you can 100% be your authentic self around. Um, and so you add these up and so if you have seven plus, you're doing an amazing job and you're going to live to an average of 90. Um, if you have three to six is about 84 years old with three years of morbidity at the end, which is just like really rough years or three points or less. And the average is about 76 years with five years of morbidity. And so what he found was these people in these, uh, towns that were living so long, I believe he said their average rate was like, I might be getting incorrect, but it was somewhere between like 86 and 95, I want to say. 
with quite a few of them living to like 106, uh, 104, 105. But the one thing that he found with all of them, not the one thing, there's a few things they had that led very active lives, but not like we do here. You know, it's not like um, pumping iron and running. And they just literally a lot of them were like sheep farmers or, you know, they made their bread. Um, so they were literally using their body all day. They were going for walks. They weren't out there, you know, training for marathons. They were just leading an active life. They were social. And this is something that I learned um, from another lecture that I was listening to about a town in Pennsylvania. Um, And it was an Italian. They had migrated from Italy. um, And that was the same thing. They were social. They lived in multi-generational homes. So they had support. They had community that they were interacting with. So they weren't lonely. Uh, Loneliness is really, really uh, uh, real. I mean, it's, it's an issue. And it's actually, he said that loneliness is almost as bad or worse for you than smoking is. Um, and that's like astonishing. Cause he said, uh, also, I know there's a statistic in there. 20% of Americans have three or fewer friends. So literally at least 20% of Americans are that lonely. And that really affects your health, your stress levels. Um, because we need community. And I know like, this is something f- I, I, I think about this for me. I do have three good friends that I can call in no matter what. And I know they wouldn't judge me or at least they wouldn't judge me too much, <laughs> but they would still love me through it. I can be myself regardless. Um, but they don't live here. And so in thinking about my life where I currently live, there are, you know, events that leading up and, and, you know, everything I have been quite lonely for a few years, but the difference is, you know, for me, my parents are right around the corner. So I'm never truly lonely. And I know you can be around people and still be lonely. Um, I felt that a lot in like my marriage, but, um, you know, and I have my kids that genuinely, truly love me. So, you know, if I didn't have that support base, I, you know, I could be fallen into that. Um, but yeah, that, but that really affects, so they live in multi-generational homes, you know, the, the, the great, 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 great grandparents, you know, that are 104 years old are still looking after their great, great, great grandchildren. Um, so they, they had this community, they had, they had the support. They were um, the one town in Loma Linda, California, was actually the seven seven days Adventist. Um, so they were faith based, um, and so that was like a huge factor in why they were living for so long. There was one lady uh, that was like a hundred and six years old, and she would get up and and she would she would do some little weights. She would get on her little bike, um, her workout bike, and then she would get in her car and she would drive and volunteer at the old people's home. Um, and she was thriving at 106. So, you know, it's like the other thing, of course, diet is a huge part of it. Because like you, in our culture, everything is like fast. We don't have time. We don't cook home cooked meals. Um, it's just like, you know, whatever's cheaper. And, and I actually have been in like volunteering or trying to donate, helping out communities or uh, homeless shelters, I obviously appreciate that you can volunteer and help out in any way that you can and help these people get a meal that they might not get otherwise. I understand that. And I'm careful with my words because I don't want to sound whatever, but, um, but it's almost frustrating that, you know, when you mention like vegetables, then they'll say, oh, well, we don't usually do that because then the bread gets soggy. So just stick to like meat, a meat sandwich. 
And I understand that something is better than nothing, but we should, I feel like we should also be nourishing these people because, you know, that doesn't just physically in your health, you're not being necessarily set up for success, but I understand like you can't necessarily be so choosy when you don't, when you have so little options and at least having an option is better than having no option. Um, but in all of these cities around the world, these five locations, what he found was um, they were mostly plant-based. Now, that's not to say that they didn't eat meat because they did, but it wasn't every day, every meal. Some, some uh, cultures, it was one day a week, like on Sunday or Saturday. Some cultures was once a month. Uh, some cultures would literally get a cow and that would be their meal for a year. So it wasn't, um, and obviously there wasn't, there was no processed foods. There wasn't the factory farming issue. So, you know, you can have meat in moderation, but what he found was most of them were eating a whole foods plant-based diet. Um, they had farms that, you know, gardens, they would grow their own vegetables. They would like as a family. And another thing that he found was whenever they would plate their food, they would plate it at the counter and then bring it to the table. And because if you have like all these dishes in front of you, it's so easy to grab a second and a third helping if you're hungry, as opposed to like, if you have it at the counter, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind, you might be hungry, but then you get up, put a little bit more on there. You're just more aware of what you're putting on there. And I know when I eat at my parents' house, it's something that we, my mom does, she'll just leave the, the food over there. Um, and then we go over and plate our own food and then go sit at the table or she'll plate it for us either way, but it's always plated outside of the table. Even on holidays, she will usually have like a buffet style. <laughs> I just threw my pen across the room. Um, she will usually have a buffet style. And so we will get our food and then sit down in the other room. Um, and that's something that I'd never even like really noticed, I guess, or realized that that was a good behavior. Um, but all these factors, um, all these things led to them living these long, fulfilling lives. And he made one like statement too. And he's like, discipline is a muscle and muscles fatigue. And this was really an explanation of like, why it's so hard for us to do it here. Why do diets not work? Diets don't work because a, they want you to eliminate everything, right? Like look at the whole, whole 30. And I appreciate the whole 30 in the sense of like finding out what's aggravating your system. I believe there are other ways to do it, such as Ayurveda. You can find out what your dosha type is, and in that, you can align that with what you're eating. Um, some don't do good with chickpeas. Some don't do good with spicy food. Um, so knowing your body and listening to your body. So I appreciate whole food, whole 30 for that sense of eliminating aggravators and then slowly putting them back in so that you can figure out what's wrong. But I know I tried to do that. Um, and again, I'm plant-based, so it was a little bit more difficult. I know it can be done, but I tried to do that and I made it like, I think I made it two weeks and I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. I was so hungry. Um, but that's the problem with all of these diets, right? Is A, I think when you put the word diet to it, it makes it like the short term. And it's something like 95% of people who lose weight on a diet gain it back because you're eliminating everything. There's so many negative connotations around it. Don't do this. You can't do that. You can't eat this. Leave that. You know, it's like so much of you're eliminating so much. It becomes overwhelming. You get tired. Um, you know, thinking about what are, what are some popular diets like the Atkins diet or the keto diet or low carb diet. It's like carbs are your body needs it. It is your body's energy. So especially like if you're trying to go on a quote unquote diet 
and work out at the same time, especially if you're not used to doing that. And this is the thing, right? It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a race. And I I will admit that I always fell off the wagon from working out because of that. It was like two weeks in and I just wanted to see results, but then you don't and you get frustrated and you stop and you're just like, oh, you know, my body's in pain because you're pushing yourself too hard. Um, mentally, you're just drained. You're tired because you're not eating right. You're not getting the carbs that you need to sustain your body and to re-nourish your body after working out. So like, yeah, you might lose a few pounds, but it's not sustainable. And then you gain those that weight back and then you're frustrated and then you're done. It is a slow process. I started working out gosh, a little over two years ago after my second child, and I'm still not back to my pre-pregnancy weight, but I've also accepted that I like to eat. (laughs) And so I do go back for that second helping sometimes. Um, But I'm starting to eliminate the processed food. I'm trying to eat more just like whole foods. And I, everything I put in front of me and I literally, as I say this, I just sat there and ate these little like sour Norwegian gummy things that they have at Trader Joe's. And I knew I shouldn't be doing it as I put it in there, Um, but I did. But I try and everything that I put into my body, I just try and think like, is this aligned with my goals? Is this aligned with who I am or what I want, you know, my, what I want, who I want to be or whatever. And if it's not, I try my hardest to walk away. Sometimes we all have weak moments. It is difficult. But, you know, even after two and a half years of working out almost, it's still, I mean, I'm proud of my body because you know what? Now I own it. You know, like I have made it what it is. I am proud of that. I still have, you know, baby weight on the stomach. Could I eat better? Eliminate some extra foods? Sure. But I feel good. So I'm not going to force myself to do something or force myself to be unhappy or not feel good when I feel good, right? So to me, that's not worth it. To some people, maybe it is. But, you know, like I said, I'm in control of my body. I'm working out. I'm keeping it healthy. Um, You know, but then on the flip side, my knee has been hurting. So that's kind of telling me I need to slow it down, but I love to run. (laughs) It's like I have a love-hate relationship because trust me, when I'm in it, I'm just like, oh my God, like counting down the times, like 30 seconds, one minute, I'm constantly looking at the time, but I love it at the same time. It's so powerful because you have to have that mindset, right? You can just like tell yourself in your brain, keep going. You got this. You got this. You're stronger than you think. You know, it's all in your head. So this is like, you know, it's like a motive. It's kind of like meditation, I guess, a form of meditation, right? Where you're just like, it's like positivity. I literally can't think of anything but running. Um, so I, you know, and, and the final point of all of what he was talking about was that what, why is it so hard in America? It's so hard because like I said, he said that the muscle uh, discipline is a muscle, muscles fatigue. So you may be well intentioned and you may find a diet, quote unquote diet, or even a lifestyle change, right? But that's, that's what's sustainable is a lifestyle change, slowly but surely making it a lifestyle change. But you may want to, you may have the best intentions and start this, but eventually, because your community isn't aligned with your goals, you will fatigue in your mission of eating right and having a healthy life because those around you aren't on that same path right so his his theory is you have to change the community everything has to change because even when you're at the grocery store and your kids are pointing to Canada you see the chips you see the commercials you go to the movie theaters you see all the popcorn you go to a restaurant you see the desserts and the wine and the snack it's just it's never ending in our culture there's McDonald's there's Chick-fil-a there's I mean it's it's never ending fast food is 
everywhere. These restaurants are everywhere that aren't like good for you. And and I love to go to True Food Kitchen because at least I know I tend to, I know I tend to overeat when I go there because that's just, I do the appetizer, do the main course. I have a glass of wine. I have a dessert. I have a co- you know, like the whole thing. So I know I overeat, but at least I know those ingredients are like fresh. It's all fresh, re- freshly made in the back. Nothing's like frozen, processed, none of that. So so that makes me feel good. But I do. I love the experience of eating out. I love all of that stuff. So it just really got me thinking this week too. It's like, <clears throat> you know, like that was his conclusion is that you have to as a community change. But where do you start? Especially in a place like America where we're just so used to the, you know, the obesity right here is is probably one of the highest in the world. But it comes from that convenience. And also it's a lack of knowledge, which is really why I wanted to do holistic health coaching. Because, you know, I may not be able to change the world, but I can change one person who, who wants that. And then, and that, and I've done my part, right? Um, you know, I pulled, <laughs> this morning I had an Oracle deck and I, and I pulled a few cards and one of them was Anna or Anna, 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 uh, the grandmother of Jesus. And the whole p- point of it, the whole card purpose meaning was that, you know, yeah, she didn't change the world. She didn't have a direct, uh, uh, effect in, in what Jesus did, but she laid the groundwork. And although she might have been a, who, you know, I've never heard of her. So she might have been a silent player in it. And sometimes, you know, we're not going to change the world on that world stage type of thing. But we can change the people around us. We can do what we can in our life to lay, to pave the way for the future generations. And so, like, you know, that's what I think. You know, for me, that message was I may never end up being, you know, the best holistic health coach in the world with all these PhDs and all this, you know, whatever. But it's like if I can change my kids and their viewpoints and how they eat and how they're raised and how they're kind to other people and clients that come to me, if I can help them get their life, you know, in a better place or teach them something they may not have known or through this podcast, maybe give some knowledge that shifts the the way that somebody thinks, then then that's what that's what my purpose is. So I just really wanted to share that with you. And those are really the few things that he says were consistent in all these people. So physical, physical activity, um, it doesn't have to be, you know, at the gym for two and a half hours a day, five days a week, uh, 30 minutes a day for three days a week. That's it. It is some sort of physical activity, spirituality, whatever that is. You may be religious. You may have a spiritual practice at home. You may just have a community of spiritual, uh, um, sisters, you know, goddesses, goddess circles, Whatever you find is your spirituality. And even if you don't believe in any of that stuff, having a faith or having a belief belief in something, even if it's just yourself, having some sort of spiritual faith-based, whatever it is, but um, having that helps, improves your life. Um, Being active, faith, social, being social, having a social life, having friends that you can call on, like true friends that aren't going to judge you, true friends that like know you, you can truly be your authentic self around. Um, and that, that helps too. Um, and so all of these things, I feel like I forgot something, community, faith, physical exercise, and a mostly plant-based diet. Again, I know people like cringe at that because you know, that it's not, it's been proven, right? <laughs> Meat is just 
to eat meat every single day, it's not good for your body. It's not your body. It, meat sits in your gut for three days. Plants go through your system in and out. Uh, same day because your body takes what it needs from them. And, and, you know, they say you are what you eat, but you truly are because think about like all of those, that food gets broken down your body. It becomes your skin. It becomes your nails. It becomes your hair. It becomes, you know, the saliva, it literally becomes part of your DNA. And so why would you want to literally give your body anything, anything else? But it's so hard. And I'm not sitting here saying I'm perfect because I am far from it. Trust me. You know, my kids have the vegan processed chicken nuggets or I didn't bring lunch to work today. So let me order out real quick. Or, um, you know, I have to go to my therapy session, but then I have to get the kids and I'm too tired. I'm just going to drive through the drive through or whatever, you know. And so I'm a victim of it as well. So I don't like that word victim, but I am (laughs) guilty of it as well. Um, I know I can make better choices. I know I can cook more at home. Taking two hours on a Sunday and prepping. Taking two hours, whatever day it is that you have time, prep, snack. Another really interesting thing that he said that I've started to implement this week is if you add, if you have a handful of nuts as a snack every single day, replace, say you're going for that bag of chip, replace it with almonds. Five days a week, if you have a handful of nuts, whatever kind of nuts you want, That will prolong your life. I believe he said that'll add five years to your life. Three to five years. I can't remember, but it was one of them. So there are so many, all these little things that we can do. And it's not just like doing it for five days and then all of a sudden, you know, I've added 10 years to my life. Like, no, it's a lifestyle change. It's being consistent. And so, and I think truly a lot of it too, when you really get deep down into it, it's like, do you love yourself? Because if you love yourself, like truly love yourself, then you will want to give yourself the good foods. But, you know, if you're using food as a numbing agent, (laughs) as a numbing, uh, like as a coping mechanism, which I'm guilty of, just mine, it's a lot with wine. It used to be. I don't drink that much anymore. But for a long time, I would just numb through that. You might numb through candy. We all do it in some way. But acknowledging that, seeing that, um, you know, another thing that's really been coming up for me this past week is duality. The idea that, because I've been doing shadow work and I've, I've noticed the deeper I get into this like spiritual journey, the more I see clearly the messages, um, (coughs) excuse me, the more clearly I see these messages, and when they continually pop up for me, I'm like really taking note now. But duality is one of them. So I've been doing inner shadow work. And that's, you know, picking up all these aspects of yourself that you like wouldn't want anybody else to see. And so all of these came from somewhere, right? Somebody put them in there. Somebody modeled them for you. They're not necessarily you. But until you can embrace them and stop trying to push them away, I know, like, I'll be the first to admit, I was I was around a lot of judgment in my life and so sometimes that'll pop into my head and I get so irritated with myself and it's literally a fleeting thought and then it's gone because I know like I am if you like talk to people that like know and love me they'll all say just like I'm a hippie I want everybody to love each other 
And it's true. It's like, why can't we all just love each other and be friends and just be kind to each other, you know? But then you have these, everybody's got something, right? Some sort of dark thought or some sort of uh, something they're ashamed of, whether it's like an anger that flares up or whatever your, whatever your shadow side is, right? That side of you that's like, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're stupid. You're, you're fat. Whatever that shadow of you is. But the thing is, so, so often we just try and push that aside, and just ignore it and hope it's going to go away. But that's not how it works. You have to like embrace it and accept it. Accept that that's part of you. And because once you see it, once you can see it truly, and then you can start noticing your patterns and redirecting your thoughts, but you have to embrace it. Part of the shadow work I've been doing is a meditation. And you go, you go into a, you know, deep imaging uh, meditation. So you're guided down and you're in this beautiful room, like the perfect room for you. And you have your highest self that comes in. What does she look like? She's tall. She's proud. She's, you know, she's just sure of herself and she radiates like, uh, she glows, she radiates. And then you go down this hall into this like sewer pit and you right. And you have this version of yourself that's in the corner and it's dirty and muddy and crouched over and looking in the corner and glaring at you. You know, this is, this is just personally what I see. It's not, you know, everybody sees something different. But then at the end of it, you merge them together. You have them hold hands and hug and they become one. And then everybody just kind of steps into the fire and, and, and gets burnt off. And then what's left is, is just you, who you are. So instead of shaming yourself and pushing that away, embrace it. Embrace it. And that is really all I got for you today. I was just really wanted to talk to you guys about the blue zones. I thought it was really fascinating. Yeah, it was just really fascinating. And so I wanted to share it and just give you tips. I mean, all I can say is just choose one thing, one thing that you want to change, whether that is eliminating meat from one day of your week, have a meatless Monday, Um, whether that is taking one 10 minute walk. Uh, if maybe you don't usually walk the dog, take the dog for a 10 minute walk. Um, any little shift that you can do, um, educate yourself, uh, you know, Google or get, I I love to read and my therapist says I intellectualize as a coping mechanism. Um, but I do, I like to know everything. So for me, I just love to gain knowledge, but pick one thing. Maybe you don't have sugar for the week. Maybe you don't have processed foods for the week. Um, whatever it is, I challenge you pick one thing, journal about it. How do you feel at the end of that week? How do you feel every day? How do you feel waking up? How do you feel going to bed? Document it. See how you truly feel. How does it make you feel? Maybe you're frustrated one day. Maybe you're pissed off one day. Maybe you feel fantastic the next day and you have so much energy. Just document it throughout the journal it and see how it makes you feel. Um, I'm going to leave you with, um, another thing and I, put an Instagram uh, post about it and I talked about it in my stories a little bit, but you know, through all of this and you know, the podcast, um, somebody asked me about my podcast and I had this like flare up of insecurity. Um, it just was, I don't know. I don't know what it was. It just got me really anxious that, um, that somebody I knew was listening to it. And there's a lot of people I know they're listening to it. So I don't, um, but I don't know. So it really, 
I was listening to somebody talk about fear and it's something that I can just like see a pattern of or I had a pattern of throughout my life because we're changing that. Um, But he said, you know, fear isn't the opposite of love as we're taught. Fear is created through love, right? Because every emotion that you have is, is trying to tell you your body something, trying to tell your mind something. And so fear is love because fear is trying to protect you. Right. But the thing is, we don't today, we don't have fear doesn't need to be kicked in like it used to. We're not running away from tigers. We're not, uh, you know, whatever they used to deal with back in the day, bears or whatever. But so like that type of fear, like actual physical harm um, isn't what fear is doing to us anymore. Right. We're fearful of public speaking. We're fearful of chasing our dreams. We're fearful of leaving that job. We're fearful of getting the divorce. Um, but he said, fear isn't the opposite of love. Fear is actually a compass to point you towards what you should be doing. And so once you feel that fear, it literally, once you begin to live through courageous action, as he called it, um, through courage, through doing the things that you're scared of and doing them anyway, you literally will start to change your biochemistry in your body. Your body will react in a different way. And I know for me, like, I'm terrified of public speaking. Terrified. But I don't do any actionable, I don't do any courageous action steps to overcome that. So that's something that I have to work on. I know for me, sometimes, I say sometimes, a lot of times, when I'm like out in public or whatever, there is a fear, I guess, of rejection. I don't know. So oftentimes I focus on my phone, right? That's a coping mechanism. So that way I don't have to make eye contact or I don't have to uh, interact and then be rejected, right? Oh, they're not going to like me and all those thoughts. So it's also something that I'm working on. I work on it every single day. You know, I consciously put my phone in my purse and look at people and smile because then I think how would I want to be treated right it's it's nice when somebody smiles at you um so just taking steps towards it every single day um so what think about it you know what are you afraid of and why is if it's something that you truly really want to do how can you do it because so many of us have dreams and desires and we just don't do it we don't we don't uh make those steps towards it and for me like the podcast that was terrifying I know when I put out that first episode, like, I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, my gosh, I should just take it down. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. So I was embarrassed for no reason. Um, but now, you know, the more that I do it, the more comfortable I am with it. And even though there are certain things that flare up my insecurities, um, for the most part, you know, I'm getting better with it. And it's, it's awareness. It's self-awareness that helps so much, being self-aware. And so doing that, that work in journaling helps become self-aware. Um, and that is where I will leave you. And I hope you all have a beautiful weekend, have a beautiful week.